Welcome to the Enneagram 2.0 podcast. I'm Beatrice Chestnut. And I'm Uranio Pai. And today we are talking about the Enneagram types in relationship or the Enneagram love languages. I believe this interests everybody. Everybody has relationships, both personal and professional. And there is a big potential for the Enneagram to help um, family, partners, friends, groups of people uh, relate better. And uh, it's interesting to talk about relationships when using the Enneagram, both from the perspective of what you can do better to relate with others if you are of a certain type, and what others can do to relate better with you because you are of that type. Right, and how you can adjust your understanding of the person you're in relationship with based on knowing their Enneagram type. I think that everybody is interested in having better relationships, and the Enneagram can do so much to help us understand what each person needs and wants, uh, gets attracted by and repelled by in relationship, because the Enneagram is really a map of our patterns of perception, our patterns of experience, and it defines in some ways the expectations and the preferences each type or subtype has. And when we understand more about each type and subtype and what their outlook is on relationship, what makes them feel safe, what makes them feel interested, what makes it hard for them to engage in relationship, I think it can help us uh, a lot in, in improving the way we relate to other people. Yes. You and I teach a lot together, B, and we taught together this uh, online workshop on relationships that we call the nine love languages. And I always feel very happy when we get feedback that by listening to descriptions of how another type relate, that people started to be much more appreciative and compassionate about that type when relating to people of that type. Uh, and sometimes this is very healing. Um, I believe that all of us have a tendency to think that the other person does what they do for personal reasons, only with me, or because the person is not too good with me. But many times, I mean, the vast majority of times, what happens is just that we don't understand the pain that each type has on relationships. We tend to see the world in, in the way we see it and um, assume that other people see the same way. And when we, we get to know what's truly difficult for others in relationships, we can empathize more with what's difficult for them. Yes, I think there's a way that when we focus on understanding how the different types relate, how they are in relationships, we can have a lot more empathy and compassion for the other person. Because I think uh, the source of a lot of conflict and difficulty in relationships is when we don't understand what the other person is doing. 
because maybe we wouldn't do that. So why is that person acting that way? I would never do that. And so, of course, we project onto them what would be true for us. And I know I worked as a couples counselor for many years. And one of the big things that I learned that we would talk about a lot as in the psychotherapy community was that so much of relationship comes from projection. Projection meaning I project onto the other person what is either true for me or what I would do or my own expectations, uh, my own beliefs, or my own past, my own expectations of how people generally are in relationships. And when I do that, I tend to not see the other person. When we project our expectations on our, our partners and our friends, in a way, it's like we stop seeing what's really true for them from their point of view because we've replaced it with what we think they're saying or what we think they should be saying or doing or what we perceive them to be wanting or or doing it with us. So I think there's a way that the Enneagram has the power to clarify in really, really powerful ways uh, what is actually happening with the other person, um, what actually might be happening with the other person, so that we can stop thinking that we already know. We can stop making assumptions. We can stop projecting onto that other person what we think is happening for them and really understand what actually is happening more from their point of view. At Chestnut Pies Enneagram Academy, we don't come from a perspective of uh, saying that some types relate better with other types, that there are combinations that are better than others. I think you and I have taught so much already that we know that all combinations are potentially good or potentially bad also in different circumstances. Now, we, we also think that instincts play a very big role, perhaps bigger than type itself, when it comes to relationships. And how so? Uh, and we did have a podcast on instincts. Check that out if you haven't uh, listened to it yet. Uh, but the way it happens is when two people have the same dominant instinct, sometimes things get a bit easier for the relationship. And at the same time, they, it will be a relationship at, at which potentially one reinforces uh, the bias of the other. Now, and, and it may be more of a comfort zone somehow, while when instincts are opposite, it may happen that the relationship has more challenges in the beginning, or it's not as easy in the normal scenario, but at the same time, it's fantastic for one to stimulate the other to grow. So there's no such a thing like better or worse. And when it comes to type, we need to understand what people need the most and what they can give us uh, that we might yet not be appreciated enough. Yes, I think it can be fun and interesting and challenging in a good way to be in relationship with someone who has a different instinctual sequence than you do, right? 
Yes, yes, it is fun. <laughs> oh, you're talking about that. Ah, yeah, you are self-preservation dominant and I'm self-preservation repressed. Yes, it can be fun after being challenging. Yes, both fun and challenging. And, and usually they go together, especially if you have a positive attitude about it. Um, I think that... Right. I, I think there's a way that... It's definitely a big learning piece. Yes. And I think if we take the attitude in relationships that uh, relationships aren't supposed to always make us happy, they're supposed to help us be more conscious. I think that can really give you a, a, a good way of approaching the challenges that inevitably occur in relationships uh, and a way to see them as teachers and a way to um, have all relationships be part of your path of personal growth. Because if we're learning and growing in our relationships, um, then that really does a lot for our personal growth journey in general. Some spiritual traditions stimulate their followers or students to be in uh, relationships, close relationships. And this is not because it's nice, but because it's challenging. And it is important to experience that kind of challenge in life to be able to grow faster. When we, we have a close relationship, we will be more directly in touch with our reactivity, with all the projections, and by seeing what we are projecting onto, onto the other, we may find a shortcut to see what are still our unresolved issues that actually we should do therapy for. I think when an issue comes up over and over again in relationship and maybe in different relationships or in the same relationship, usually that's a really big wake-up call that there's something there that needs to be attended to. I think sometimes our blind spots remain blind to us until they create a problem in relationships. And so it can be very good to see issues and conflicts in relationship and patterns over time. I know for me, one time I... I had two relationships in a row where the same exact issues came up uh, and caused problems. And I realized by the second one, I, I think I'm supposed to pay attention to something here. So I think relationships can be both a, a source of awakening for ourselves in terms of what we need to look at and learn about and develop in ourselves. And they can also be ways that the other person um, pushes our buttons. I know that we often refer to Gurdjieff, who is one of the pioneers of the meaning of the Enneagram diagram as a symbol and also a very fully articulated program of transformational self-work. And he would often say that that personal development work can't be done alone. You can't do it by yourself. You necessarily need to do it in a group. And the reason for that is because the people in the group are going to push your buttons. There's going to be friction. There's going to be things that come up that help you look at yourself. Uh, you're going to get feedback from other people about what they what they love about you and what bothers them about you. And if you take all of this input as information that can fuel your growth journey, uh, relationships can both be a great source of 
consciousness, of, of developing higher consciousness, and also greater pleasure and satisfaction. I have a question for you. When we taught that relationships course, the love languages course together, what was something that made you like it? Or what particular thing did you learn when teaching that? Well, I think there was something funny about just the title we gave to the course, Enneagram Love Languages. Now, this was not a reference to, there was a popular book about, I think, the five love languages. This was not about that particularly, but it was borrowing some meaning from that phrase, which for me, it was just almost funny to see how the different love language that each type communicates through, understands relationships through is so different. Uh, and how each week it, it would be kind of funny to say, okay, here's what you need to know about what this type is really thinking or what this type is expecting or what this type needs uh, for you to do. And I think people found it very helpful, especially because as we often hear, when people first learn the Enneagram, one of the big insights they have is that not everyone sees the world the same way they do. Uh, when we're in our own heads and not other people's uh, as a person, how do we know that someone else is seeing the world from a completely different vantage point than we are? I think the Enneagram highlights this in such a, in such a big way. And so I think that one of the things that was funny for me from week to week was just how different uh, each type saw the world. Uh, what about you? What, what did you find interesting or funny in the course that we taught? I like when students uh, get really surprised and express that. Uh, something that they took for granted, uh, they understand it's just simply not like that differently from how the E would react. Like, I remember once that at a workshop, I said that I really don't need and even don't like people to meet me saying that they understand me, that they liked what I said, that I found that, like, uh, I, I was wasting time. And you got really surprised, didn't you? <laughs> yes, I remember when you said, fives don't need you to make supportive comments. And I think this is one of our professional workshops. And I was shocked because to me, like, doesn't everyone appreciate a supportive comment? But but you were really clear. And so were the other fives. Actually, that's we don't really need that. And it doesn't really help us. And so I think there are a lot of moments like that where we would say something about a different type. And a lot of people would be really surprised because... There's something that people just assume that everybody likes or that everybody needs in relationship. And to be able to go type by type and say, actually, this this person really likes this, but this other person doesn't need it at all uh, is really enlightening. Right. So now what we want to do is to share with you um, a few of our learnings about how to relate with each of the nine types. And we'll take about three or four minutes per type, including saying one do and one don't uh, when relating with people of that type. Are you ready, B? Yes, I'm ready. Should we start with type eight? Yes, please. You can go ahead. I think one of the important things to know about eights that it really informs 
relationships is how much they deny vulnerability and show up in a powerful, strong way as a compensation for not being aware of or denying vulnerability. Because especially in intimate relationships, it's really important that we allow ourselves to be seen at a deep level, which usually means being vulnerable. So I think when people understand that eights have really big hearts and they tend to be very sensitive inside, but they don't always show it, uh, but that people need to remember that sensitivity and, and treat them as if it's in there, even if they don't see it. I think that was an important thing that, that we highlighted. I really agree. And I would say, though, that it's still very important to be direct, give straight feedback to AIDS, be very, very transparent and honest. If you disagree, disagree. And don't measure your words too much. You know, it's important to, to just be yourself, be frank. And AIDS don't take things, uh, you know, to the heart, feeling too sensitive about them very commonly. Now, the more the it grows, the more you need to be gentle when communicating with the eight. And one more thing is never assume that the eight knows uh, that uh, they did something that hurt you or said something that hurt you. It's difficult for AIDS to know the impact they have on others. So whenever you feel anything, just say it. And many times it's as easy as that to solve the problems. I think that AIDS are very uncomplicated in relationships. I would add a couple more things. One is that a lot of times people get frustrated with eights in relationship when the eight doesn't empathize with how they're feeling. So I may want my eight friend to really understand how sad I am about something and they just don't seem to get it. And I think it's important to recognize that when eights aren't so much in touch with their own vulnerability, it can be hard for them to empathize with others' vulnerability because the whole essence of empathy is being able to really feel what the other person's feeling in your own heart at, at a deep level. Uh, another thing about eights I think is really important to understand is they actually respect people who stand up to them and who engage in conflict with them. So I think eights can be great teachers for us about how conflict can actually strengthen a relationship and how conflict is an important part of relationships. I remember in our our type eight class, love languages class, we said conflict is good for relationships. And some people were kind of surprised by that, uh, were questioning how is, a, is conflict good for relationships. But Couples that don't have conflict often suffer from the problem of becoming disengaged from each other. More and more distance comes up. And there's if there's too many reasons to avoid conflict, you end up avoiding the relationship and engaging with the other person at a deep level entirely. So I would I would add those things as well. Yes, and eights sometimes they they agree with you, they are listening to you, but you know, it's just not their style to give you compliments or to talk about it in very soft and gentle ways. So perhaps they are with you and even empathizing with you and you just don't know because they don't say much. 
Now, what would B uh, do from your side, B? What to do when you are in a relationship with an eight? Well, it's something you said, but I'll just highlight it as here's what here's a here's a, something to really do when your relationship with eights is tell the truth. Be honest, be upfront, be direct with the truth. That will help you a lot in helping the eight both trust you and respect you. And what about a don't, uh, Uranio? Is there something that people should remember not to do in relationship with eights? Never hide bad news from an eight. And don't play the mediator just because the eight gets nervous when you say something that's not uh, nice, that is happening. Don't, don't hide that away from the eight and don't play the mediator. By not playing the mediator, you will allow the eight to develop this role themselves. Should we move on to nine? Sure. So what do you see as being central to understand about nines in relationship to be? Well, I think the main thing to understand about nines in relationship is they focus a lot on the outside and they tend to not have a lot of awareness of their own personal agenda. So they go along with others. They can even merge with others, which is a kind of energetic blending with what others want and what's going on with others at the expense of being in contact with themselves, their own deeper sense of being, their own desires. And so because of that, uh, they're very oriented toward harmony and creating creating a, a feeling of comfort and and everybody getting along. However, that can be a bit superficial and false, and it can cover over uh, things that need to be talked about. And because nines avoid conflict so much, there can be a way that you think you're getting along, but the nine isn't telling you the full story because they're not telling you what they really think and feel and want, maybe because they don't know, but also maybe because they want to avoid conflict. And this is why I usually say that when in relationship with a nine, it's a good idea to ask and ask again about any dissatisfactions the nine has. And many times they won't know. They will need to make efforts to know exactly what's that. But, you know, it's like their bodies know because they are body types. And keep asking, why is this important? It's because... Nines first don't see that or don't value that much, but it doesn't mean that they are not feeling it and they are not getting disappointed and they don't face it very easily. Now, when you do that, so when, so when you talk about this, you are giving the relationship a better chance of surviving and being good. Because there is something else about nines. Nines don't say, nines don't say usually that they are not happy, but sometimes all of a sudden they are gone. So in order to avoid this, it's good if you insist in asking the nine about what is happening, what could be better. That's, this is a good way to put it. What could be better? And never 
impose anything to the nine. Just ask. It is important to ask the nine a lot of questions and to be okay if they don't know the answer, because sometimes it takes nines a while to figure out what they want or what they don't like about what's happening. Now, a big thing to remember with nines is that they tend to be passive aggressive or passively resistant in relationship, meaning they don't always get in contact with anger and dissatisfaction in the moment because, again, they want to avoid conflict and and tension. They want to create harmony and keep that going to maintain a sense of comfort. Uh, But what that means is sometimes you might be asking them to do something and they may be nodding and looking like they're agreeing, but they're actually not taking away any action steps from that conversation, as uh, someone, a nine we know said. There's a way that they can look like they're in agreement, but they're not. They're not telling you because they don't want to be oppositional. They don't want to go against. They want to keep the peace. So it will be important to recognize that sometimes they may have their anger leak out as stubbornness or as saying they're going to do something and they don't because a lot of what they focus on is not having a conflict with you and making you happy, even if that means erasing themselves or not saying what they really think or what they really want. I will share one thing to do when in relationship with a nine. Show you really care about the nine. And do that by meaning what you ask, paying close attention to the nine's uh, answer, and follow through the conversation and, and be there for the nine. Not many people do this with nines, and nines don't do this with themselves, but they have a big need for that. What would be a don't be? In terms of what not to do or a don't in relationship with nines, don't tell them what to do. They may not let you know that they didn't like the way you told them to do something. They just won't do what you said. Uh, So it's important not to be disrespectful or try to push the nine into something. I often find that people will ask a question like this. How do I get my nine partner to do this or that? How do I get them to be more active? How do I get them to do this or that? And the truth is you don't get the nine to do anything if they feel at all like you are putting pressure on them, you're trying to manipulate them, you want them to do something for your own agenda, they probably just won't do it and they won't tell you they're not doing it because they need to passively resist in order to hold their own ground without having a conflict. So sometimes they just will smile and look like they're acquiescing to what you want, uh, but it won't happen. And it's important to know that Part of why that happened isn't because the nine is lazy or doesn't want to do things. It may be because of the way you communicated with the nine. And so it's important if you want the nine to cooperate or collaborate with you or do something that you talk with them about them and get their buy-in and really make it a true collaboration. And you really uh, talk to the nine about why you want that, or maybe if it's something about doing something differently in your relationship. It's important to lead with why you care, 
why you care about them, why you care about the relationship, because if you're too directive or pushy with nines, they'll feel that and, and they just won't participate. So let's move on to type one. What is central to understand about ones in relationships B? I think with ones, it's important to remember that they are very hard on themselves. They tend to be criticizing themselves a lot inside their heads. Uh, and they can also be critical or judgmental of you. And it's important to know that that's part of their their personality style of wanting to avoid mistakes and blame for things, um, wanting to do things the right way, wanting to be a good person. Uh, and it's important to remember that they're always well-intentioned and they always are usually putting a lot of pressure on themselves. So just to remember that, that that's probably what's going on inside the one. And when you criticize them or if they feel criticized by you, they can take it in a hard way because it can feel like, don't you know I'm already criticizing myself inside my head? It's kind of like you must know that you're piling on, that you're adding a lot already to what I'm already telling myself. What about you? What do you think is important to know about ones in relationship? It's difficult for ones to have fun. They go first for duty. And in relationships, it's so important to have lighter moments and have fun. So it's on you to help the one uh, go more for fun. And also say very nice things when the one has humor. Ones have great humor. They just don't use it enough at times. And just, just stimulate spontaneity and less formality for ones. An agenda for fun, then, is a hint. Right. Also, it will be helpful with ones in your, in your life to admit if you make a mistake. Allow yourself to be held accountable. Ones can be very forgiving if people are honest and responsible, like they are. So what would be one do in relationships with ones, Be I would say do try to help them take in positive feedback, to take in love and care, to really help them hear you if you have something positive to say. Because a lot of times ones just look at the negative or the criticism to see what they can fix, what they can do something about. So help them take in the positive. And of course, using humor to do that can be a great way uh, to help them do that. What about a don't for ones? What, would you, what should you not do in relationship with ones? I would say don't be indirect. Don't be evasive or fickle, like being inconstant or changing a lot all the time. Try to be more constant and trustworthy. That sounds like a good thing to do for every with everybody. <laughs> yes, but I think it's very special for ones. I hear many ones complaining about this. And they they want objectivity from you. And logic, I think. And logic, yes. Let's do a short break. The Enneagram 2.0 podcast goes live every other Thursday on all main platforms. Stay tuned to learn more about yourself and others. B and Yiranyu offer much, much more high-quality Enneagram content on www.cpenneagram.com. If you are an Enneagram enthusiast, 
visit the website now. Hi, Uranio here. If you are enjoying this podcast, check out our complete Enneagram Love Languages online workshop. It has nine classes on relationships with each Enneagram type, 90 minutes each. Visit cpenneagram.com and use the code PODLISTENER to get a 15% discount on cpenneagram.com. So what about your type A, type 2? What do you want people to understand about twos in relationships? Well, I think it's important to understand that we are emotional types, that sometimes we can avoid feeling our emotions or repress our emotions. Other times we can have reactions or responses that are quite emotional. And to just understand that that's part of the way we are and that it's not a bad thing because sometimes us twos have gotten criticism throughout our lives for being too sensitive or too emotional. And so if you can help us accept and uh, and hear and, and really respect our own emotions, that that's really great. Another thing I would say is to remember that we are sensitive to being hurt and that we're very relationship focused. Uh, and we are sensitive in relationships because they're so important to us. Really, too, is probably the type that is most focused on relationships in everyday life. It's really a, a key focal point for how we experience um Everything that we experience is is what's going on in the relationships with the important people in our lives. What about you? What have you observed about two over time? Choose think in terms of reciprocity. Like they're nice with you, they do a lot for you, but secretly they they expect you to be a little bit the same with them in a way that they don't need to ask for help. So be very nice, extra nice with the two in your life, being sensitive to that need they have, and at the same time, help them ask for help. At times, it's very good when you just go do something for the two. They really like this, usually. But it's even better if you can stimulate the two to ask and to see that it will be okay with you and you won't um you you will be there for the two and you will not dislike the two when they ask and notice signs that the two is indirectly asking for help like if the two starts complaining about something or saying that it's difficult to do something that's potentially an ask for help very indirectly but it is I think another thing people need to understand about twos is their main focus isn't so much helping and giving, which is often a simplistic stereotype that people have about twos based on how a lot of Enneagram teaching uh, goes when it comes to twos. It's, uh, I think, really to too great a degree, they overemphasize that twos are helpers or givers. What the main thing is, is we twos want to be liked. We want people to like us, want to connect with us, to, to view us as important in their lives. That's the most important thing. And helping and giving can be a path 
to being liked. It can be a vehicle uh, or a way, a method for creating positive connections, but it's not the main event. And because of that, what goes along with that is another thing that's really important to know about twos and relationship is we avoid rejection at all costs. So we're going for being liked or loved, or, or we want people to feel positive feelings about us, to see us in a positive light. Uh, and what we're really avoiding is rejection. And if we even smell something that feels like rejection, like if you say something that criticizes us, that can be very difficult and it can and it can produce a big reaction. I'll share something I believe people need to do when in relationships with choose. Show you like them over and over and again. And when they do something nice, say it, because they need to hear it. Now, of course, that changes a bit when twos work on themselves because of humility, um, replacing pride. But it's usually a good idea to understand that twos need to feel they are liked. And when you say so, it may be helpful. What would be a don't from your side being? A don't is don't offer a lot of criticism or negative feedback to us without also offering affirmation. Uh, a two will be better able to listen to what's not working in the relationship or any any constructive criticism or feedback you have if you're also really saying a lot about what is working and what you like about them. Uh, the more we know that you appreciate us or that you see us in a positive light, the more we can see the ways in which uh, we might need to do things a little bit differently to relate better to you, which can be hard for us to take in because it feels like rejection. I appreciate you, B, and I took note of this suggestion, this don't that you shared. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, maybe you can have that as a post-it on your computer. <laughs> <laughs> and I would highlight the fact that that's such a great example of something that I need that you don't need, right? Earlier in this podcast, we talked about how fives don't really need to hear words of support and affirmation. Uh, but but twos do. So I think that's a great example of kind of a opposite tendency that we, it'll be good to know about if you're relating, for instance, uh, a two and a five are in relationship, just for instance. It is indeed, yes. So let's move on to threes. How would you like to start talking about threes in relationships? So I would first say that threes just naturally focus more on work and tasks and goals than they do on relationships. Now, this is true even though they're heart types. And uh, of course, just like all the other types, relationships are important to them, but their main focus of attention just tends to be on work. And so I've noticed like when couples come to therapy, oftentimes the the partner was having an issue with their three partner because the the three was very focused on work. And oftentimes that three is getting a lot out of their work. They may be successful. They may have a, a work persona that gets them a lot of rewards. And so it can just be important to know that threes will need to make an effort to put more attention and focus on the relationship. 
what else about threes do you think is important for people to know? Well, it's hard for threes to relax, and that sometimes keeps happening in personal relationships. They need to be doing something, and if you engage with them in some of those activities, it's it's nice for them. Also, they need to admire you. They sometimes want to model you, identifying with yourself, like seeing you not as an achiever, but as someone who has goals in life and who wants to grow and to, to do stuff and to win life. Now, I believe that there is a fear of intimacy for threes because they sometimes try to avoid emotions just to go do and perform. But it's very helpful when you address that with threes in a natural way and flowing from doing to sometimes talking about feelings. It's really healing for threes when they have a secret and sacred space to talk about uh, feelings and the relationship itself in ways that they look at what they really want and not what the, the appropriate image is. What would you add, B, about threes? I would say a little bit related to what you said in terms of it can be hard for them to relax and slow down. It can also be hard for threes to listen. Sometimes threes are so focused on their to-do list or what they need to produce or what's happening in their in their work or their task list that they can find it hard to really slow down in order to take in what you're saying. And so help making sure that you have the three's attention, that you help them prioritize the relationship and just really listening and connecting can be an important thing. And one other thing I would say is to remember that how important it is, and you said you, you touched on this as well, how important it is for threes to get in touch with what they're feeling. And it's not somewhere they go to naturally. Um, and it's one of the reasons why they don't slow down is because if they do slow down, they are emotional types and emotions will come in. Uh, but it can be hard for them to make it a, a goal for themselves to to be in touch with emotions, but when they are more in touch with their emotions, they're more in touch with who they really are. And when they're not in touch with who they really are, when they're really feeding an image more, it can be hard to connect with them because it's like they aren't completely home. They're just giving a lot of their energy to uh, the image or the persona that they may need to have in, in life. What would be one thing to do with threes on top of what you've already shared? I would say do reinforce or mirror back to them aspects of who they really are, positive aspects of what we might call their real self, uh, especially if they're very successful in their work life or something. They may not be in touch with what's really true about them as a person, what's meaningful to them. And I think if you're in a close relationship with a three, you may have a lot of appreciation about who they are at a deeper level. And I think if you can mirror that back to them in a very positive way, that can really help them know more who they are. What about you? What's a, what's a don't? What should you avoid doing with threes in relationship? Never assume threes are heartless. They are not. They are actually the center of what we call the heart triad on the Enneagram. And emotions are always around. 
but trees make an effort to push them away in order to perform. Now, emotions are still very close, and they are indeed very emotional in the inside. So be gentle and caring, and don't assume they are not emotional or that they don't feel hurt, because they do. So let's move on to type four. Would you start? So the main thing to remember about relating to type fours, uh, the cardinal rule for getting along well with the fours in your life is to understand them. Job one for you is to understand the four on the four's own terms. So in other words, it's really important for you to take time in the relationship to really understand, especially what the four is feeling, what they're experiencing, um, to show interest in understanding them. And they're the ones that get to to decide if you're actually understanding them. In other words, sometimes maybe the four is telling you how they're feeling or what's going on, and maybe you're getting impatient because you're not such an emotional type or you think you understand, and so, so you say, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. But the four realizes, actually, you don't get it yet. You haven't really fully heard them out or you think you understand. You're maybe jumping to a conclusion and you're not really understanding. And so that person will not feel understood by you, even though you may think you understand or you may have made an effort to understand. So a lot of problems in relationships with fours come from the fact that the four doesn't feel fully heard or understood uh, especially at an emotional level, but in general. And I think then what happens is people blame the fours for being too sensitive or too emotional or too particular or or too intense or whatever it is. But a lot of these problems could be solved if you really understand that you need to understand and you need to check in with the four to ask them if they feel understood. What about you? What do you think is important for people to understand or know about fours in relationship? That fours need to discharge emotions. Like you explained, it happens for twos. It's not too different. Fours can be very emotional, but when they talk about the emotions, then they can calm down and then have a talk with a bit more logic and making decisions they, as I said, they need to be understood and listened to without trying to make them stop talking about emotions. Another thing is that because force have this push-pull mechanism, they are not the only ones who have it, but they many times have it. And it means that when you are close to them, they see something is missing, but when you go away from them, they see that they really like you a bit more easily. Because of this, it's interesting if you don't make yourself available all the time, that you, you allow for the four to miss you a little bit. So I want to add my, my do about fours here. Listen to the four to the end. Don't interrupt. Be curious about what the person is saying and sharing. And as you said, asking questions to see if they feel understood by you. I really like that point that you raised. And make sure you are non-judgmental when you do all that. So what would be a don't? 
I would say when interacting with fours, don't devalue emotions, either generally the value of emotions, or especially don't devalue their emotions. Fours live in their emotions more than other types do. And I think in sometimes in our culture, we can, we can think, oh, people shouldn't be too emotional. And it's really important in relationship with fours not to devalue their emotions. And part of the fact that fours are emotional, it's it's related to the fact that they're truth tellers and that they value authenticity. So if they're expressing their authentic emotions or they want you to, it's important not to devalue that in any way and recognize that emotions are just as important as thoughts and thinking and acting and behaving. Uh, It's just another language that needs to be uh, heard and understood. Shall we talk about type five, your type? So it's true that fives has, have this big need for privacy. And it's true that you need to give the five some space in a very constant basis, daily if possible. However, a less known aspect of relating to fives is that they fear not getting enough for them. And you need to ensure that they will have you giving what they need whenever they say so or expect so. It's not as much you giving because you think the five needs at this point, but being there and being at the right distance, not too far away and not too close, to be available for what uh, they need. And I'm talking here about emotions, right? They are actually very sensitive in the inside. That doesn't show easily because it's hard for fives to deal with emotions, but it's even harder to share what they are feeling with you. That doesn't mean that they don't feel, especially after being with you, because they need to process that later on. What would you add, B? I would say that, you know, it is important to know that that fives automatically detach from emotion. And so they may not relate to you on an emotional level and in a natural way, but it doesn't mean they don't have emotions. Uh, But it does mean that sometimes they might think they're they're feeling an emotion, but they're really thinking about their emotions. And so I think sometimes it can be important just not to have a lot of expectations for them to meet you emotionally, but also to talk with them about what they might be feeling and to get clarity about um, what they're feeling. And like like you said, I think it's very important to recognize that they may be more sensitive than it looks like they are. And another thing I would say is very important with fives and and with really with all types, I think there's ways that all types get stereotyped in relationships. And I think it's really important to to recognize that that fives don't always feel comfortable sharing their their deepest uh, thoughts and feelings that they don't always feel comfortable sharing a lot. They can be a little more quiet or reserved, but it's important to not project onto them what you think is going on with them. Because I think sometimes when someone's quiet or we don't know what they're thinking or they're not saying, we can make assumptions. Uh, and it's important, for instance, not to take it personally if the five needs time alone. 
and to recognize that that's what they need. And it's not necessarily a rejection of you or uh, an indication that the relationship is not important. Uh, I know this has been something that I've learned and it's been good for me because as a two, I take too many things personally. And so recognizing that there are other, there are some people that just don't need to connect as much as I do. Uh, and there's good reasons for wanting time to be alone, uh, which I also really value. Um, it's good. It's good to know and to clarify those things directly if you don't know what's happening. Right. And one last thing I want to say before our do's and don'ts. I think that if it's okay with you, you should allow the five to to have some control of the timing and the space in the relationship. That makes fives feel more comfortable with this difficult business of relating for them it's difficult and that's a little bit related to my do do in relationship with fives allow them time and space to think to consider to process uh, anything that you may have talked about if you need to tell them something about how you're feeling or if you need to talk about something about the relationship tell them, but then recognize that they'll need time alone to, uh, to process that more without you there. What would be a don't in terms of what not to do in relationship with fives? I would say never expect or force answers from the five right away. Give the five some time to think and prepare before coming back to you during the discussion or to agree on a plan and allow the five to manage time, as I said, by doing that. Okay, so let's move on to type six. How would you start explaining what is important about sixes in relationships, B? I think what's really important for sixes is to establish trust. Uh, I think sixes need a lot of trust in relationships. I think depending on subtype, they have an easier or more difficult time trusting. But basically things like do what you say you're going to do, be consistent, be honest, be forthcoming, don't hide things. Uh, these, these are the kinds of things that I think contribute to trust, which is really core uh, for a six in relationship. What, what would you say is important to know about sixes in relationship? I totally agree with you, B. And I would add that, yes, it's difficult for sixes to trust others. And they have all that period of testing and observing if the other is trustworthy. But at the same time, when it comes to a close relationship, sixes end up trusting a lot. And it's almost like they don't question much that relationship and they can really relax, which is a big gift, a blessing for them because it's hard for them to relax. And by the way, it's important that you help the six of your life to relax. If you stimulate relaxation and you know downtime, with the six, it's usually a very good thing you will be doing uh, to your six. I think another thing to remember about sixes and relationship is that they're problem solvers and their habit of mind makes it so they might be on the lookout 
for things that could be going wrong. Uh, and I think you're right that once they do trust you, they're very steadfast and they're really there. Um, but they also just in the course of everyday life may be looking for, okay, what, what's, what's going wrong? What do I need to fix? What do I need to attend to? What do I need to worry about? Uh, and so they can sometimes appear a bit negative or problem focused. And sometimes this means we need to hear them out and validate their fears and um, respect uh, their need to fix things or or have, be concerned. But other times it means we need to help them see the positive. We need to help them uh, look at what is working. And I think also we need to avoid labeling sixes as pessimists because I think what they would say is more they're realistic and they're just looking for what needs to be attended to. Uh, and so I think it's helping them find a balance of respecting their fear and their sense of responsibility to be looking out for what could go wrong and prepare for it, uh, but also help them lighten up, help them relax, as you said. Uh, help them look at what also is going well. I'm going to share my do, what to do when in relationship with sixes. I would say provide reaffirmation to the six in your life. This is because sixes are sometimes not the most self-confident. They hesitate and it's good for them when they hear from you that all is fine and that they are doing good and everything is okay because sometimes they are questioning about it and they, they need feedback. What would be your don't be? Yeah, the, the word I would use just is reassurance with the sixes in terms of, you know, you said reaffirmation. I would, I would tweak that a little bit. I think reassurance. It's like reassure them that everything is going well. I would say in terms of a don't. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Thank you for that. Yeah, just it's it's just a, a, a terminology uh, comment. So I would say in terms of don't, I would say don't hide things from them. Don't, don't keep important things to yourself. Uh, don't avoid discussing something with them because you think you, they might be fearful or upset. I think it's much better to be open uh, and to voice concerns or to be more revealing than it is to hold something back because you might be concerned about how they might react. Okay, last but not least, type seven. Type seven. So I think what's important to remember about sevens in relationship is that on the one hand, they focus a lot on what's positive, on what's pleasurable, on all the possibilities, on having different options, on seeing life and relationship as an adventure and as something that is very positive experience. Sevens typically really enjoy engaging with people. Uh, but it's important to also remember that they unconsciously avoid pain or anything that's uncomfortable. And so it's it may be 
it, it may be vital to see that they may avoid having the difficult conversation. And as we said before, in relationships, it's important to be able to have conflict. It's important to be able to discuss what's not working as a way to make things better. And sometimes sevens may avoid this kind of conversation in different ways. Uh, And one way might be to focus exclusively on the positive and to just not even see any of the negative. Uh, And so it'll be important to, in a gentle way, bring up what's not working or help them see uh, some of the less positive data in, in what's happening so that you can address it. What, what would you say about sevens in relationship? I agree with that. I just think that even more important than being gentle when approaching this is to stay having a positive look at the situation and being uh, optimistic about what can change for better. And it's important for sevens to have a good and relaxed time with the other person and have nice and fun moments. And when a problem happens, it's important also that you don't freak out or make a fuss out of it. Deal positively with it. It's not very easy for sevens to have intimacy in relationships. And some people may perceive them as being a bit more shallow when it comes to feelings. But uh, many times, sevens may feel deeper in the inside and not want to show you. Perhaps you can learn how to have shorter periods of time to talk about this kind of thing, not too long talks. What else would you add, B? I would say that sometimes they are oriented toward being a little bit more on the surface, not going more deeply into the moment or into an experience. And because of that, I think sometimes people can find sevens in relationship to be, as you said, a a little bit on the shallow side, not showing up completely, uh, not maybe feeling all the emotions that may be present between you and the other person, because there's a way that they're unconsciously kind of avoiding being trapped in an unpleasant emotion. Sevens tend to want to keep the mood up. And they tend to avoid or just kind of skirt away going more deeply because there's this fear, if I allow myself to feel pain or hurt or sadness, I'll be there forever. And so it's important for sevens to uh, learn through the relationship that depth can actually be a positive thing. But in the beginning, it can be hard for them to go to go deep with you. My seven do would be Be optimistic and positive, even when addressing challenges in the relationship. So really make sure to mix up the positive and what might not be so positive or even negative. Uh, Be upbeat, even when you're saying something kind of direct that they need to hear. What would be your don't? Don't tell the seven what to do unless asked. They run away from feeling controlled. And this is one of the types that avoid authoritarian people the most. I'd say sevens and nines. It's time for our top five. Top five. What is our top five today? Our top five today is the top five most sociable types. And... 
when we first thought of this, I thought I need us to have a little bit more definition. So sociable in the sense of talking with people a lot, getting caught up, uh, being social uh, with different people, being very socially engaging. Uh, and, and would you add anything to that? It, that definition of sociable? Like taking a lot of time to leave a party or uh, to talk to everybody around. Yeah, that's great. So do you want to start? What's your, what's your number five most sociable person? I first want to say that three out of my five here are social dominance, but my number five is not. So it's sexual nine. Sexual nines, in my view, are very available and they follow the person and they empathize, stick to the person and keep talking. And then if someone else comes, they also connect. Usually it's like that. But it, it depends, in my view, also if social is second or third. When it's third, perhaps then the sexual nine is not as sociable. What is your number five, Lee? So I'm going to have some, a few interesting ties here, <laughs> just to warn you. So my number five is a tie between sexual seven and social three. I think that social threes can be very outgoing and sociable. Um, and I think sevens, sexual sevens can be or not. It kind of goes either way. But when they are, they're very much and very engaging and lively and uh, fascinated by people. Um, so I would th that my type, my number five is a tie between sexual seven and social three. What's your number four? Interesting. I thought of social three, but I ended up not uh, including social three in my list because um, our particular definition of being sociable requires the person to be a bit more patient than three hours, I thought. But I think you may be right. So my number four is social seven. I know several social sevens that, you know, have this characteristic of staying around, talking to everybody, being available, being receptive to other people. And they are like magnets of people coming to them to talk and to share, and they are more patient than other sevens. My number four is social eight. And this is because social eights can be very outgoing, especially they can often find themselves as leaders of groups, uh, just very available to people in different ways. So social eight is my number four. Interesting. Go ahead and say your number three, please. My number three is, and I, I couldn't decide on a subtype, so I'm just gonna say num my number three is type two. I think twos are very sociable. I was tempted to say mine self-preservation too, but I think that's probably not true. And I think there are examples of extremely sociable twos of all three subtypes, and I couldn't really pick one. So I'm just saying all twos are the most sociable for me at number three. What about you? What's your number three? It's self-preservation sixes. I see that many times they are really available and because they tend to be nice and warm, they 
go towards people to talk and, and communicate, have a nice chat. And usually I see that self-preservation sixes are good in being a little political and talking to everybody and listening well, having a good rapport. Now, what is your number two B? My number two is a tie between self-preservation nine and social nine. I think that social nines are very much uh, congenial, friendly, upbeat, social, often gravitate toward positions of leadership because other people want them to be in charge because they're so sociable. Also, I, a lot of the self-preservation nines I know are also quite sociable. Uh, and there's a kind of comfort and sociability. I know one self-preservation nine who knows everybody in town. There's a kind of openness, a democratic way that they relate to people. So I have self-preservation and social nine as number two. And it's interesting because I know you had sexual nine by itself at your number five position. Yes. Well, my number two is social two. I take your point that um, it's difficult to tell which of the type two subtypes is more sociable, but I, I personally think that it's social two, like knowing lots of people and talking to all of them. I think that I somehow thought of people who are a bit political, you know, in my list, on my list. But social choose, in my view, have that characteristic of keeping in relationships more in that social aspect of it, not like sexual choose do that they really engage with that one significant other. And yeah, so social choose. And what is your number one? Yeah, I would say that social twos, it's interesting that you have a little bit of a bias in your definition of sociable as also being a little bit political. Maybe that's your social five coming out a little bit there. <laughs> I would say my number one is social seven, which I know is your number, you had that maybe number two. Four. Four. That's right. I was I was thinking of two as in the second one, but you're number four. Yes. So what's your number one? My number one is social nine. My friends who are social nines are really stopped every time by everybody. They know everybody in the world. It's amazing. And they are always communicating with each person for the same length of time. And it's very hard for them to build boundaries. Uh, so I see them as being very sociable, a bit more in the receptive end of people looking for them. But it doesn't matter, they end up being very sociable. So let's give you the last word today. Thank you for listening and join us again on our Enneagram 2.0 podcast, where we talk about all things Enneagram. Please click on like to help spread the word about our podcast. Thanks for listening. Yeah, Enneagram 2.0, find your personality. Chestnut Pies, Enneagram Academy. What's your type? What's your subtype? So much you can learn. You can be amazing. Go ahead and transform. It's for yourself and others. Grow and follow the flow. 
and also for the planet yeah let your mind blow it's from b and your año time for you to know and be your best self with enneagram 2.0 psychology self-mastery working relationships spirituality come and join the podcast oh yeah we'll be fun explore the challenges that from now you'll overcome hey enneagram 2.0 tune in yeah it's your personality uh enneagram 2.0 chestnut pies enneagram academy hey enneagram 2.0 tune in now